basketball. He didn't say about the basketball part, but he did say stay home and uh, whatever. So I studied last week uh, at home and, and a lazy boy uh, watching basketball. But the coolest thing is Sunday I went ahead and preached. I was able to do that. And then Sunday afternoon I went back and watched more basketball. And I don't know if you watch basketball, but the greatest comeback in the history of college basketball happened last Sunday afternoon. It could have been the greatest collapse if you was on the other side of the thing. But Texas A&M was playing, playing Northern Iowa. And it was less than a minute to go in the game. And for those who didn't see it, man, it's, it's unbelievable to see what happened there. Uh, I, was, I flipped over. I've been watching back and forth. Flipped over the channel the last two minutes of the game. I'm going like, oh, they're going to lose. Okay. Texas A&M's down by 12 points with like 40 seconds left in the game. And they come back, some miraculous way, they come back and tie up the game, put it into overtime, and eventually win it. I don't know. That doesn't happen, folks. I've seen some teams come back from 8 or 10 points, you know, like a 2 minutes to go, but not 12 points with 40 something. It shouldn't have happened. If Northern Iowa just had maintained the ball one time, you know, it would have happened. But I don't know what happened. It just, it was, it was bizarre. But it was, it was considered, and I looked online, and it's considered the greatest comeback in the last minute of, a, of any college basketball game in history. And, and that's pretty cool. But today I want to talk about the greatest comeback ever. Because imagine this for a moment. Imagine for a moment that, that, Northern, uh, that Texas A&M had actually lost the game last Sunday. And then three days later, somebody calls them up and says, hey, you really won. You know, it, it, it really, you know, you thought you were dead, but you're not. You really won. The resurrection is the greatest comeback in history. It's, it, it, makes, it puts to, to shame that, that great basketball comeback. That's just a game. You know, it's just a game. But the reality is, is that we're taught here today to celebrate uh, this whole thing that we call Easter and the, the events of Easter. For those of you who are regular attenders of Great Oaks, you know, last fall in November, my wife and I got the privilege of going over to Israel for, for um, two weeks and visit Israel and go through all the Holy Land and a lot of places. And we got to see some really cool places. And, and one of the places, uh, a couple of places we saw were places that... Uh, that, um, that are related to, the, to this, these events we're going to talk about today. Show me the first picture. I can't even remember what pictures I put up there. Oh, this is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And this is a place that actually in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, is considered a place. Now, this is, there's this debate about where it happened. A place where it's possible that, that inside this church, they built this church over the site where it's possible that Jesus, uh, where he was crucified. Because if you go up next slide, uh, next slide, it shows this. There's, there's a room upstairs there. And you can see, I don't know if you can see that or not, but there's a lady kind of uh, bending down, kind of back and underneath that looks like a table there in the middle. And she's down underneath there. And what she's doing, she's filling this place there where you can go do this and there's actually a cleft and a rock there and they say that's where the cross was now whether it was there's another question but you know they built this whole church over it it's ornate uh, it's it's crazy but uh, people stand in line for hours to touch the rock where the cross supposedly was now we went to saw that place that was pretty cool but really the place that we really was as, as, uh, really thought was some fantastic next slide is uh, is this place this is called uh, this is called Golgotha. It means the, the the skull. And if you look at it closely, you can see what might look like two eyes uh, to one side there, and a nose, and a mouth. It's it's this hillside there that's outside of Jerusalem. 
And if you see some old pictures of it before it eroded even more, it looks even more like a skull as well. This, this is a place at the base of this, not on top, but at the base of this is where they believe that Jesus actually, uh, the crosses were as well. Next slide. Uh, and this is, this is called the garden tomb. And the garden tomb is this tomb there uh, that is a place, and you go in there, and uh, the next slide, go to the next slide, uh, is the last slide. This is actually a niche in there where, peop where people, this is the one in the garden tomb. This is where they believe that Jesus may have been, his body may have been laying after he was uh, crucified. And, and so we got to actually go in and see those places. And let me tell you, people line up by huge numbers to see these places and go in there and just uh, be, be there in those locations. Uh, that, are, that are there. So it, it was really incredible to be able to be a part of that. But the reality is this. We were simply going to see places where Jesus had been, but is no longer. And it's cool to go see dead stones, because that's what they are, dead stones, right? I mean, they're just dead stones, you know, that's uh, whatever they call them. The living stones are the people that, that uh, when we were over there, they talked about, you know, you, most people come to see the dead stones, but very few people come to see the living stones. And the living stones are the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ today in that area, and when it's very difficult to follow as well. Because the reality today, we come not just simply to celebrate those things, and they're incredibly, I, I hope you get to go. We're going to have a trip about a year for now. And those who'd like to come, just uh, go on a trip, just shoot me an email and let me know, and we'll put you on a list as well. But the thing we're here to celebrate today is the fact that the tomb is empty, and Jesus is here. He's not somewhere there, somewhere far away. Because this is not a memorial service for somebody that died 2,000 years ago. Lots of people believe that Jesus is, you know, uh, is different things. Some people believe that Jesus was a great man. Others believe that Jesus was a great teacher. And some people will say, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough just to believe those things? And all of us in our minds have some kind of a picture of Jesus about who he is. And based upon where you have been and where you are and where you are now, for instance, if you came today for Easter and you've not been in church in a long time, and maybe you dropped out of church as a child, uh, you went to church as a child, your parents took you, and then for some reason something happened in your family, a divorce or something happened, and this happens so often, and you haven't been in church in a long time, your picture of Jesus may be the picture of Jesus you had when you were a child. I call it a Sunday school picture of Jesus. Or maybe it's a big picture, big church picture of Jesus. If you were a child and your parents made you come into the service, you're going like, man, that's why I didn't want to do that. And so you have that mindset about who Jesus is. Or, or if you're a middle schooler, and that was the last time you were involved, last, last time you were involved in church, uh, you may have this, this vision, especially at Great Oaks, uh, and this was the, my experience as well growing up, of, of what I call Camp Jesus. Camp Jesus is the kind of person maybe when you grow up in your middle school or in high school and you go to camp and it's, it's all exciting, you know, it's very emotional and, 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 you, and you have these, you sing incredibly cool songs at camp and you get that and you get all excited about Jesus and then two weeks later you come back and real life sits in and kind of like everything kind of goes away. Maybe that's your idea of who Jesus is. But I want to share with you this morning that no matter where you are, and where you left off in your relationship with Jesus and wherever it is now, the great news today is those versions are good for childhood, but there is a bigger and better picture of who Jesus is when you become an adult. And there's an adult version of Jesus that has the potential to, to change your life. But you have to go beyond where you left off in childhood. 
And I, I want to tell you this. This is what we believe as a church here. I believe this, and I believe this is a, what we believe as a church here, is that the Easter story is real. It happened. And the reason we believe is not simply because, and you use this term in Sunday school, not because simply the Bible says so, but because of what the Bible, uh, the intent of the Bible. Because in the Bible we read multiple stories of people who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, who believe that the Easter story is true. People like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, who, not, who walked with Jesus and as they walked with Jesus, they recorded down in, 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 uh, in letters uh, these, these stories of, of how they believed that what happened at Easter, that Jesus, yes, he died upon a cross, yes, he was crucified, but yes, he rose from the dead. And they experienced that, and they wrote it down, and they believed that. That's why we believe it. And, and, and probably the two things that even make it more believable is, is because, for instance, uh, also James, the brother of Jesus said he believed that Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, think about this for a moment. How many of you, or how hard would it be to convince your brother that you were the son of God? Just think about that. What would it take? Some tricks? Some mirrors? No, 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 no. I mean, James, and it's interesting because we see in Scripture, James Never once is it mentioned up at this point of being a follower of Jesus, a Christian follower of Jesus, until, until the crucifixion. That proved it to him. His brother died. He saw his brother die on a cross, and then he saw his brother alive, and he's going like, "This is real." And then the other person that's it's probably even more amazing is, is the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was a guy who hated Christians. He, he, he persecuted Christians. I mean, if you don't like Christians, you would be right along with Paul. Paul would just love you early in his life. But Paul, as he hated Christians, and, and, and as he went through this whole process, he had a counter with a, living, with a living God that changed everything about him, and he became one of the greatest spokesmen for Christianity in all of history. And the good news is that over time, the early church collected all the writings of these people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and they put them together, and meticulously they collected them, and they put them together, and it's what we know as the New Testament today. And then later on it was added with some other writings called the Old Testament. And, and of those writings, these are not just simply writings that somebody write fictions about eyewitness accounts of what has happened. And so the reason we believe is not simply because the Bible tells stories, it's because it's eyewitness accounts that this really did happen. And while Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John believed in and recorded the eyewitness, the events of Jesus, especially the resurrection, the Apostle Paul not only recorded that, but he also wrote in his letter, in, in, in one of his letters called 1 Corinthians, why it's important that we believe and understand in the resurrection. So this morning I just want to give you two things. It's not going to be long. I just want to give you two things that Paul says to us about why it's important that we not simply believe that Jesus was a good guy, not only that Jesus was a great teacher, not only that Jesus really lived, but that we believe and understand that the resurrection is essential to what we understand and believe. Paul gives us two reasons. And it's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles in some format, uh, a lot of people at Great Oaks use electronic Bibles and say, so if you put, like, whip up their phone, you're going like, and you're going like, if you've not been here before, it's all right. They're not... Hopefully they're not texting, okay? 
Maybe they're looking up the U version of the Bible on that, or if their iPad or something like that uh, used to be used to disturb me, but now I'm going like, well, if they want to play video games, it's up to them. You know, God knows I don't. So, okay, let's look at a couple of things, and this is going to be brief. The first thing that Paul says in verse 14, and this is actually it starts in the first um, in ver- chapter 15, the first um, 11 verses. Paul basically kind of records and says these are the events that happened, kind of the same way that that uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the events of the of the crucifixion and resurrection. But then in verses 12 and following. Uh, he begins to tell some reasons why this is so important. And I just want to focus on a few vo- uh, verses out of, that, out of this. Verse 14, in verse 12 and 13, he says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There must be some people at this time that will say, Hey, this really didn't happen. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. He's, 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 Paul was a great philosopher, but also a great uh, debater as well. And he would take on people many times. And then verse 14 is what I want to focus on. This is what he says. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, <clears throat> then all of our preaching is useless. And then he says this, and your faith is useless. Not only, you know, what I say, you know, if, if, if the resurrection's not true, then everything that I say, everything that we talk about in church is useless. Because it's the hinge point of everything. And also, personally, your faith is useless. And why is that true? Well, let me just say this. Paul is basically saying it this way. If there is no resurrection, there is no life. There is nothing to live for. There is no life. Because if there is no resurrection, it means that death cannot be overcome. Life, when you finish this life, is terminated. It means that everyone will remain dead forever. And the Bible defines being dead forever as being separated from God. And it's almost in a hell-like existence. It's a place where you cannot have the hope of ever having a connection with God. He said if the resurrection is not true, that's, that's, that's our state. Death would have been the terminator in a real sense. It would be the end of Christ and the end of every one of us. Because if Christ had not been raised, he, it he means he has no power over death. God has no power. Jesus has no power over death if he wasn't raised in this debate that, that Paul is talking about. And so death would be the greatest force in the universe, not God. God couldn't do anything about it because, oh, it's too strong. Couldn't possibly do anything. And if death had conquered Jesus, it would mean death will conquer you too. See, that's not how we believe, though. Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, and we believe the Bible teaches us clearly that death for the Christian is a transfer and it's a promotion. It's on to better things when you die. It's not something to be feared. I don't know where this quote comes from. I tried to look it up and couldn't find exactly. the. the so many people have used this quote before. But it said this, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And what that means is this, you don't know how to live until you're ready to die. You, you, only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that everybody knows is inevitable. Does anybody here think you're never going to die? My hand is down. I think all of us know that that's, you know, you always heard the inevitable things in the United States, what death and 
Taxes, yeah, okay. We're hoping for the death of taxes, but, you know, it's not going to happen in our lifetime, I guarantee it. But the reality is, is you can't, so, I, and I've had so many conversations over the years with people in my office and counseling and just different places where people are so afraid of dying. And these are people that have already accepted Christ, and I'm going like, why are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid of dying painfully, okay? None of us want to do that. But I believe in Scripture that tells us because of the resurrection that this is not all there is. And that's what Paul is saying here. That's why Paul said it, and he said this, he said this over and over again, seven times in this chapter, chapter he said, Christ has been raised. Seven times in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And it kind of concludes a little section. I'll kind of go down and come back in a minute. But Paul says it this way. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In verse 20, he says, he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. In other words, the rest will follow. And who are the rest? Those who follow Christ. Those who accept Christ. He said he's the first of those who will reap a harvest of not dying. Our body will die, but we will live eternally. And see, this is the underpinning of the Christian faith. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're all fools being deceived into believing a lie, is what Paul's saying. Years ago when I was in college, and I know it was a long time ago, but uh, the reality is, is there was a, I remember seeing, uh, the, at the time it was a play, and then later on it was a cinematic version of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's play, Jesus Christ Superstar. Anybody ever seen that? A long time ago? Somebody going like, oh, yeah, that's a long time ago, I know, okay. But it was real famous for a while. And the thing was, it, it, there was this very moving scene in the cinematic version. I don't remember on the stage version, but a very moving scene of the crucifixion. The agony of the cross and its terrible tragedy are powerfully acted out. But as you sit there watching the screen version, the dying Christ on the video, and you're waiting for the next scene to happen, you know what happens? The credits start to roll. It's the end. Really? It's a crucifixion without a resurrection. It's a Jesus with no Easter. In a tragedy, it's a tragedy in the fullest sense of the word because God comes to save the world, but he cannot do it in that, in that play. There is no cross, but no, there is a cross, but no empty tomb. And so often that's the world's view. And without the ending of the story being the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, we have no hope. I like what it says in Hebrews 1.3, it says it this way. When he had cleansed us, it's all about Jesus. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. How did Jesus do that? He did that by rising from the grave and ascending into heaven. Because within the truth of the resurrection is the promise of our own resurrection and triumph over death. I love what it says in John 14, 19. It says, because I live, Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. That's why we don't worry about death. We're going to be with Jesus in heaven. He guarantees that in scripture if you follow him, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior. Even all the way back in the Old Testament, Job said it this way, foretelling, Job was not really considered a prophet, but he foretold the same thing when he says, in Job 19, 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then in the end, he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. 
So first, without the resurrection, there is no life. There is no really living because we always fear death. Secondly, is this. Paul also says if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. There is no hope. We're still lost, lost in darkness and sin. And he says it this way in verses 17 and 18 of 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has been raised, has not been raised, excuse me, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you were still, still, circle that, still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. He's saying, yes, he died upon the cross to take our sins upon himself, but to complete the process, he must have been resurrected to prove that he has the power over, power over all these things. He's, Paul is saying we would be lost in darkness if, if the resurrection was not true. Because so often we don't know what we're, why we're here, what we're here about. I can tell you this, one of the things, and it's kind of a sad thing, I'm an expert on funerals. You know why? I've done so many of them. I've been in ministry 36 years, and I've done well over 350 funerals. I didn't want to. If I'd never done one, I'd have been happy, okay? But that's part of life, and so I've done so many. I can tell you this. When I go to a funeral, people at funerals, I don't care what the person's background is. They always want to know, is there something more? Always. And they always want to know if their loved ones will continue on to something better. Always. I've never had anybody come to me and say, well, that was the end. All of us hope for something more. And without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, we, could, would, not, we would not talk about heaven because there would be no life after death. And the Bible says this, uh, Paul says this in verse 19. And if our hope, after he says this, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, talking about here and now, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. And, and it's worth following Christ now, in this world, to have peace and all the things. But he said without the resurrection, we just kind of like, it's, it's, it's kind of like a package deal. If Christ is not alive, then the light of the world has gone out. Because Jesus called and called, said, said about himself, he says, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. If he's not alive today, then why are you guys here? Oh, it's Sunday, it's Easter, let's show up church, okay? The resurrection, and that's what we talk about it every year this time, but we talk about it all the time in different ways. We talk about it because it's the central thing of everything that we believe and hope for. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, once again it says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And so he kind of concludes that section of scripture there when Paul talks about it. He says, yes, it's happened. I believe it. I used to persecute Christians, but now I believe more than anything as an eyewitness to many of the things that happened. I love what it says in uh, Max Licato. I talked about this last week. I'll talk about it again this week. I love him as an author. I don't know if how many of you read, have read any of his books, but he, he's the most descriptive uh, author in the world, probably, a Christian author. And he, in one of his books called Six Hours, One Friday, he tells the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. Uh, and they lived near a large river. And the tribe was in need of medical attention, and a contagious disease was spreading across the village, and people were dying daily. And the sad thing was that it was a hospital right across the river, like a mile away. 
Very close, very close. But this river was, was the barrier between them and this hospital. And the Indians would not cross it because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits. And to enter its water, they believed, would mean certain death. And so the missionary explained, you know, he talked to him, and he said, he explained how he had crossed the river, and, and he was unharmed, but they, didn't, they weren't impressed with his story. And, and so he took them to the river, the bank, and he placed his hands on the water, and he splashed around. He said, look, it's all right. And they still didn't believe about it. And then he went out and put water up to his waist, and, and he splashed water on his face, and it didn't matter. And, and finally... He dove into the river and he swam under beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side and he raised a triumphant fist into the air and he, he entered the water and escaped. It was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and followed him across finally. What God has done for us with the Easter events, he's gone ahead of us and said, hey, death is not going to be victorious over you. You don't have to be afraid. He's dove into the river called death, and he's come out on the other side victorious. If the resurrection is true, we are guaranteed of two things. We have eternal life and life now, and we have hope in this life. So no matter what happens, no matter what changes take place in this world, Jesus is our living Savior, not somebody who is simply a historical figure. And we're here to celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive today. I love history, and one of the things I was reading about, this is a strange tradition, a really strange tradition, in the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, the day after Easter, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they used to do this. In the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, the day after Easter was devoted to telling jokes. Really? The, the, the laughing in that part of the world where the Greek Orthodox Church was, laughing covered that whole part of the world. People saved up their best jokes for the day after Easter. Can you imagine that? All year long, I'm not going to tell that joke because Easter's coming. The reason was because they believed that they were imitating God because Easter's resurrection was God's way of pulling a cosmic joke on the devil. The devil had tricked mankind into killing God's son, and for three days he had laid in the grip of death, and it looked like it was over, and the devil was smug. He thought he had the last word, but God set, uh, set the world to laughing as Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and because he was victorious over the devil's sin in the grave, God had the last best word in the end. And that's why they do it. So maybe, perhaps, a good way to celebrate Easter is go home this afternoon and tell jokes. Never thought about it that way, but maybe that's not a bad idea. Celebrate the fact that God has pulled the biggest comeback in history, and we are the winners. Because unlike Texas A&M's comeback, which only impacted that game because the very next game they lost by 14 points to Oklahoma, <laughs> and they're no longer in the tournament, no matter how cool that comeback was, Jesus' comeback is forever with permanent consequences. And that's good news. The reality is, you're going to die someday. We talked about that earlier. But if you've accepted Christ, you're going to go to heaven. And between now and then, you can be released from the fear of death itself. And you can have hope for the future. Because 
Heaven is described this way in Revelation 21. It says, he'll wipe away every tear from my eyes. Death will be gone for good. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of how I want to live. Not being fearful all the time about all this stuff. And the reason we cannot be fearful is because of the resurrection. Did God prove to us? That he controls all things. And he's done all things for us. And all we have to do is accept that. So let's this morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's, let me just pray with you right now. God, I pray right now that you would just enable us to, each one of us to, understand how important it is to understand the resurrection. Not only to understand it, but to believe in it. God, and the reason, the reason I, I believe in the resurrection is because of all these eyewitnesses that experienced it. People, I mean, Jesus' brother, the closest followers of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A guy who hated Jesus and hated all the people who followed Jesus for a long time, a guy named Paul, who eventually became the greatest witness of Jesus and, and, and the greatest planter of churches and developer of Christians probably the world has ever seen. But when he encountered the reality of, of the cross, the reality of the resurrection, it turned him around. It changed his life, God. And you want to do that in our lives as well. So this morning, God, I would pray that you would just help each person that's here to, to realize how important the belief in Jesus Christ and belief that everything that had said in Scripture about him is true. How important it is to living life today and for our eternity. God, if there's just someone here this morning who's come on this Easter Sunday and they're here and they're simply saying, God, you know, I'm not sure what I believe about everything. But God, I want to examine this further and I want to, and I want to, I don't want to seek you out because God, I live, I live a life that's full of pain and anxiety depression whatever it may be God God you can remove that from us and how that's removed God is by us trusting in what you've done not simply believing in our heads but trusting in that which means God that we give our life to you so right now, God, I just want to pray a prayer for those who've never, never, never done that before, who may desire to trust you, God, as Lord and Savior. First of all, God, in our own hearts and minds, if anybody's never done this before, simply pray this prayer. God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner, a person who has done things my way. And God, I come to you this morning asking for your forgiveness. And repenting, turning around from my sin, meaning that I don't want to go in the same direction I've been going. And God, I believe that what the Bible says about you is true. And because of that belief, it's not just head belief, but it's heart belief. That from this day forward, I desire more than anything to follow you, God, because I want to get rid of that anxiety, that fears, that pain that's in my life. And in doing so, God, I turn to you knowing that you 
and believing that you are the answer to all my needs. So I come now giving myself all that I am to you, God. Thank you, God, for what you did on that Easter morning 2,000 years ago. What you did those three days prior to that when you died upon the cross and you took upon yourself the sins of the world. Not only those sins of the people then, but everybody, past, present, and future. And in doing so, you enable us to have future and hope and really live life fully, even in the midst of the ups and the downs that we experience every day. So God, I just ask that you would just help anyone who is here that needs to make that decision to do that in their minds and hearts and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.